Welcome to Bibli Observatory, a new series of the South Carolina State Libraries podcast, Library Voices SC. I am Yvette Villarreal, Bibli Observatory hostess. And I am Caroline Smith, the Inclusive Services Consultant at the South Carolina State Library. This is a special transmission from Columbia, South Carolina, to explore the universe of books and stories that people treasure from their childhood and how those stories defined the lives of people touched by them. In this episode, we talk with Frank Baker. Back in 2012, he supported Bible Observatory when it was just an idea. I'm very happy that he is able to return to Bible Observatory now when it's a reality. I was not able to be in the interview, but I'm so grateful that you, Caroline, and Frank got together to record this wonderful conversation. Let's enjoy it. Welcome, Frank. Would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself, and what would you like our listeners to know about you? Thank you, Carolyn. It's a real pleasure mm-hmm. to be invited here to talk about literacy and and my own uh, experiences. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Columbia, went to elementary, middle, and high school here. I was not the best reader growing up, um, and unfortunately, my report cards in elementary school reflected that. Um, but I grew to love reading later in life. I recall um, vividly um, loving to read uh, Dr. Seuss books as a, a young a young person. Mm-hmm. And then later, um, just really enjoying uh, the Hardy Boys uh, mm-hmm. mystery books. And it was kind of telling to me because I went to visit an aunt mm-hmm. in southeast Georgia and she said, I'm going to drop you at the library for an hour or two so you can enjoy the library. And she she did, and I hadn't been in a library. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to find a book or to locate something that would be of interest to me. Mm-hmm. But I was very much interested in uh, photography, so I did eventually find a book that would allow me to learn more about taking pictures. And then when I went to college, I actually took a photography course where we developed pictures, and it was very satisfying to Mm -hmm. me. And later in life, I discovered how powerful visual literacy could be. Mm -hmm. And in my work as a media educator today, I use a lot of images and I I teach uh, that media are also text. So so my background is that I went to to the University of Georgia Mm -hmm. and studied journalism and then returned to Columbia and worked in television news Mm -hmm. as a television news producer. and I had an opportunity to actually be a weatherman at WOLO TV mm-hmm. in Columbia back in 1977. And um, I eventually went off the air and was a news producer. I was basically a, a writer of the news that the anchor people would read. And mm-hmm. I moved on from Columbia and worked at television stations in Florida, and Baltimore, Maryland. The last stop was in Orlando, Florida, where I went to work for the public school system Mm -hmm. 
there, and I was in charge of the district's media department. And I was the buyer of films and videos for, at that time, the 16th largest school system in the country. And so that experience actually got me very close to instruction as I was buying material that teachers would use to support their instruction. At the time, those were 16 millimeter films and VHS tapes, and it was a really wonderful experience. I have some really fond memories of working a lot with school library media specialists, and my job took me into the library where I would frequently scan the shelves of books, Mm -hmm. and interestingly enough, I was looking for books related to media. Mm -hmm. And surprising to me, I didn't find many books Mm -hmm. on the shelves of those schools. And I started to explore being um, in charge of media at the school system and knowing the teachers were using film and video in the classroom, I started exploring critical viewing skills, which I had learned was a part of something called media literacy. Mm -hmm. And so I started to ask the administrators of the school system, could I do media literacy workshops Mm -hmm. with educators? And it started with school library media specialists. I mean, the school librarian was the person who was in charge of not only the books, but at that time the computers were starting to enter schools. Um, But they also were the purchasers of their own videos Mm -hmm. for use in the classroom. And so I really began to explore media literacy. And I developed a website that is still in existence today called the Media Literacy Clearinghouse. Mm -hmm. And the URL is my name, Mm frankwbaker.com because I wanted to provide educators with resources for how to better teach with a film, how to better teach with a video, how to help students better understand how advertising works, uh, how does bias work and, and propaganda. And as a result of that website, I got connected with a national media literacy organization and started going to national conferences. And at one of those conferences, I actually stood up and I said, you know, if we want students to be media literate, someone should look at the teaching standards of all 50 states. And so I came back Mm -hmm. to Columbia and actually began a content analysis of Mm -hmm. all 50 states' teaching standards. And Mm -hmm. what we found at that time, and it was published in an op-ed in Mm -hmm. Education Week. Do you know about what year that was? That would have been 1999. Okay. We found that there were elements of media literacy in English language arts standards, social studies standards, and health standards. Mm -hmm. And that was the the good news. Um, But media literacy really exists across the curriculum. So if you're a science teacher, there are ways to incorporate science literacy you know, a science fiction film, for example, mm-hmm. might uh, bend the rules a little bit in order mm-hmm. to satisfy the plot. And is the film accurate or not? Or um, a docudrama, um, mm-hmm. a film based on an historical book or someone's life, um, how much of it is true and how much of it is fabricated. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just recently seen the 
Elton John film mm-hmm. called Rocket Man, mm-hmm. and immediately I wanted to know how much of, of that film was accurate. My fear is that a lot of young people and adults go to the movies and see things on the screen and believe mm-hmm. that what they are seeing is in fact factual and this mm-hmm. is exactly the way it happened. And most times that is not the way it is. And mm-hmm. so many film goers don't understand artistic license. Mm-hmm. And so I've been teaching media literacy now for better than 20 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've written um, four or five books and I write a regular column for a national middle school website called Middle Web, mm-hmm. in which I look at the popular culture and the news and suggest ways that teachers could incorporate a photograph, a magazine cover, a film, a commercial, mm-hmm. an event like the Super Bowl into the classroom as a way to engage students because mm-hmm. I see media already as engaging. We know young people spend a lot of time with media and we know that there are detrimental effects Mm -hmm. uh, to that exposure and it's so important that educators and parents realize uh, the media are powerful, they are influential, but we have opportunities as I like to say to pull back the curtain to teach them how the media work. Mm -hmm. How do they do what they do? How can we better appreciate it? How can we bring that media into the classroom? One of my goals has always been to help teachers who already teach with media Mm -hmm. teach about media. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I am, uh, one of my favorite phrases is that all media involve writing. So even a photograph Mm -hmm. is is written about, a film starts out as a screenplay. These are the things that I want to help teachers and students understand, and these are the texts that can be brought into the classroom Mm -hmm. to engage students uh, even better. That's very interesting, and we'll be sure to link to those uh, resources for our listeners as well, because I'm sure any teachers or parents or librarians that are listening could use those. Um, And you mentioned there are so many different forms of and different media and methods of telling a story and that's when we talk about reading that's really what we're after of how to to get that story that someone's trying to communicate when you were growing up what were your favorite methods of experiencing a story well I I certainly loved it when a storyteller might be invited into the classroom Mm -hmm and to be absolutely enthralled by someone's expressions and body language as they brought the story to life. Mm-hmm. And now I'm, I'm a grandparent and I take my granddaughters to story time at the library mm-hmm. and I'm experiencing that same feeling mm-hmm. here later. I was going to relate um, a story if you will allow me, about a way that I have engaged students um, in books and film, and that is to have them read a passage from a book and then visualize it as if they were the director, Mm -hmm. and then using a storyboard form, 
have them draw Mm -hmm. how they see that scene from that book Mm -hmm. and then have them explore it. And I I did this recently with the book Because of Mm Winn-Dixie. And for the listeners who are not familiar with it, the first two pages of the book are a little girl who's going to the grocery store at at the request of her father to gather some uh, food for the night. And as she's uh, walking through the store, um, she stumbles upon a scene of a dog that's running loose in the store, and the store manager and the employees are all trying to catch the dog. And that's the first two pages of that book, and it's extremely engaging. And I have found that uh, teachers and students really uh, love to take a storyboard form and visualize how it is. But I have divide them into three groups and have one group storyboard from the point of view of the dog. Hmm. And they love to share their storyboards. Well, I recently met the storyboard artist in California who storyboarded the film version of the book. Uh-huh. And he shared with me his storyboards from that grocery store scene. And now I'm able to share real storyboards with teachers and students and enlighten them to a process they may not have been aware of in the past, mm-hmm. that most films are first written and then drawn and those are then used by the director and others to visualize how they're going to make the movie. Mm-hmm. So I'm a big storyboard artist fan. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that's got to change their perspective as they start watching movies and just thinking about all the decisions that were made. Absolutely. And and I'm also a fan of uh, Alfred Hitchcock mm-hmm. and Steven Spielberg and all of their films are storyboarded, but we don't always see the storyboards. You mm-hmm. know, I am also fond of saying we only know what we see on the screen, the final product. Mm-hmm. Rarely do we have a chance to see that product in process. Mm-hmm. And so I do like, again, to pull back the curtain on the, the production process mm-hmm. and help students and teachers understand it. And it's, uh, it's been very rewarding. Mm-hmm. What originally got you interested in looking behind that curtain and seeing all the work that went into producing those stories. It started when I was a young person mm-hmm. selling seeds door mm-hmm. to door. Mm-hmm. And one of the prizes you could choose if you had sold enough seeds was a hand-cranked, battery-operated, 8-millimeter film projector. Mm. And so at the age of 10 or 11, I invited the neighborhood kids over to watch uh, a movie and I really began to be fascinated by mm-hmm. not just going to the movies, but how they were made. And mm-hmm. so that fascination with movies has carried me into later life. And I was really fortunate to have been invited about five years ago now by the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences in California mm-hmm. to go and do conduct a teacher workshop mm-hmm. out in California. and. I was um, like a kid in a candy store to see the vault where all the films are stored, or here's Betty Davis's Mm -hmm. scrapbook. But while I was there, I said, could I see an original To Kill a Mockingbird screenplay? And they Mm -hmm. brought it out, and it was Gregory Peck's original screenplay Mm -hmm. with his handwritten notes on every page. That was enlightening to Mm -hmm. me to see that because I've loved To Kill a Mockingbird as Mm -hmm. a book. I've loved the movie. I was fortunate enough recently to see it on Broadway, so Mm -hmm. there's now a third version out there. 
and uh, the issues raised in that book and film are still with us today. And could you think of one particular favorite story, whether it's a book or a movie or someone who told you a story that really influenced you uh, from your childhood that influenced you as you got older? I don't really have a story, but I always remember uh, my late grandfather on my mother's side and my father as well talking about work ethic, to mm-hmm. how important it was to work hard um, and also to remember those who are less fortunate than you, to always think to be blessed with what you have, but remember to contribute to society and to help make your community better. And, and that, that's, that stayed with me uh, my entire life. Yeah, it sounds like you're doing that by helping so many kids and teachers learn how to better understand all the media that we're surrounded with. You know, one of my favorite activities is doing a workshop for young people Mm -hmm. at the Nickelodeon Theater Mm -hmm. here in Columbia. And I've done it several times where they gather in in the the theater to learn about how movies are made. And Mm -hmm. and I'll ask some critical, you know, thinking questions like, if you're going to make a movie, what's the first thing that you have to do? And the answer is you have to have an idea. Mm Um, and then it goes from there. But w- most of us are, are big fans of the movies, and, and we follow movie news, might even follow the Academy Awards. We might even try to read a book about movie making, and, and I, I think that's what it's all about. So mm-hmm. late in life, I've discovered if I'm interested in a topic, the first thing I'm going to do is do some research. I'm going to go to the library, and, and so I wrote a book on the role of media and politics, Mm -hmm. and I can't tell you how much I enjoyed going to the public library here in Columbia Mm -hmm. and exploring um, the life of the great communicator Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. How did he do what he did? Mm -hmm. And so there's a section in my book on that. And I still today talk to social studies teachers about the role of media in politics. I continue to say politicians need the media, Mm -hmm. but the media also benefit from the advertising of politicians. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a a two-way street. And Mm -hmm. I'll use political campaign commercials in my work and challenge students and teachers to to deconstruct it, to look a little bit deeper into the music or the symbolism or even the editing of those commercials. Yeah, it sounds like a very empowering process because you're starting out as more of a passive viewer of all that media and learning your critical, how to apply your critical thinking skills. And hopefully some of those kids are being inspired to become more content creators and produce their own stories as well. You're absolutely right. I'm glad you mentioned passive Mm -hmm. because, uh, again, I'm fond of saying when we watch a television show or a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly we watch it passively with the thinking part of our brain turned off. But when a teacher uses a film or video in the classroom, that turn off brain is not 
the goal. She or he wants students thinking. We want active viewing, active mm -hmm. listening, critical viewing. And unfortunately, I don't see a lot of that happening. And so that's why I continue to teach media literacy and to preach the importance of critical viewing skills. So those of us who are older, we got media literacy, if not by direct instruction, by osmosis. Mm -hmm. But younger teachers and younger parents and younger students don't always get it. They could be influenced by that slick car commercial or that slickly produced commercial by a presidential candidate. So again, we have opportunities, I think, in a 21st century education to an obligation to bring that media into the classroom, to acknowledge media as text, and to help teachers understand how to better use it. Really, So that was really the goal of my website and my books. Mm -hmm. Great. So Frank, if you want a young student to become more media literate, what questions should they consider as they encounter new media? That's a really good question. And the questions I'm about to talk about are ones that I'm suggesting that teachers post in the classroom. Um, I think the first and the most important media literacy question is who is the author? Who is the creator? Who is the producer of what you're seeing? And in many cases you may not know, but there's an opportunity to do some research. Um, who is the message intended for? Who is the audience? How do we know who the intended audience might be? What techniques is the creator using to gain credibility, to make a message believable? I think one of the most important questions that many of us don't consider is what's omitted? What is left out of a message? I use an advertisement for pizza aimed at young people, and when I ask students what's left out, Many of them don't get that there is no health nutritional information in that ad. So we don't really know if this is a healthy choice, but we have an opportunity as parents and educators to research that product and to determine is this an appropriate amount of sodium that my child should have in this product. And it's really quite easy to do to take an advertisement, apply some critical thinking questions to it, and then make it part of a bigger lesson that expands young people's knowledge and awareness of the media messages that, that are bombarding them every day. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. And it's been interesting to talk about not only how the stories we grow up with shape our lives, but how to kind of get behind that and, and analyze what messages are being sent or left out in those stories. I think it's so important today to have parents and educators recognize and understand what media literacy is and how important it is to be included in their child's instruction. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you for being here with us today, and thank you to our listeners. You can find Bibli Observatory on Podbean, Stitcher, and TuneIn Radio, or add us on your favorite podcast app. 
Our podcast website address is libraryvoices.podbean.com. We love hearing from our listeners, so send us your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Bibli Observatory is a collaborative literacy initiative to connect our communities and children with the joy of listening, reading, and writing those memories from childhood that changed our lives. Thanks for listening. Thank you.